Well, good morning. Looks like we have a, a packed house today. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Naman Cho. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church and also the campus minister for our Carnegie Mellon undergraduate students. Uh, we're excited to be with you. If, you. if this is your first Sunday visiting, we have been going through uh, a mini-sermon series through the resurrection, uh, kind of aptly so, as we move towards Easter. And we started a couple weeks ago with, with Matt preaching uh, on the resurrection narrative and, and, and telling us how the resurrection propels us as witnesses to it, as followers of Jesus Christ, how we, how we can witness to the resurrection. And, and then the Sunday after that, we talked about the resurrection of the body and how that gives our bodies today, even now, inherent value, even as we move towards the end times where our bodies would be glorified into heavenly bodies. And last week, Matt led us through the narrative through Acts, where the Holy Spirit was given to the church, uh, and we see as God's Spirit lands upon us how we as God's people respond. It's not as though it's just God doing all of this work, but he invites us along as a part of this narrative. And by giving us a spirit, he asks us the question, how are we going to respond? That's where Matt left us last week, but that's also where I want to start us this week, is how are we going to respond? And that leads us to this passage uh, in Colossians chapter 3. If you would read along with me, and at the end of it, if you would conclude, uh, recite the part of the people. <clears throat> Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, if you want to get to know me better, uh, one way to start is talking to me about baseball. I love uh, just watching baseball, and, and now that I've uh, 
come on staff and, and ministry and, and been formally ordained, I've had less and less time to actually enjoy and watch baseball. Uh, but what I get to do is I'll, I'll, I'll kind of look up pitching matchups beforehand of games that are coming up. And, and when I don't get to watch the games, I'll at least look at the final score and, and the box score, which sort of tracks every single play that happened and, and the results of each of those plays. But if you know anything about baseball, the box score tells you a little bit about the game, and it tells you at least the score and, and what people did, but it actually tells very little about the story of the game itself. If you're only looking at the box score, you sort of miss out on the amazing diving plays or the, the incredible, impossible double plays that are turned or the, the 17 pitch at bat that there were 12 foul balls lifted off until the guy actually homered at the end of it. There's a lot of things you miss from just the numbers. It's the same way with movies or books or, or stories. If you just read the beginning, first few pages or the first chapter and maybe the ending, you miss a lot of what's going on in the middle. You miss the character development. You miss the, the buildup of the tension of, of the problem that's going to happen and how it's resolved. And maybe this is a lot like our own lived Christian experiences, our own Christian faiths. The reality of the work of, the, of Christ, what he accomplished for us, is something that was done in the past. And maybe if, if we've been coming to church long enough, we've been taught and preached about the goodness that is to come, the restoration of things to come when Christ returns. But what difference does that make in our lives today, in the here and now, how we actually respond to Jesus Christ, to his Holy Spirit? And how, by knowing the gospel, by knowing about the resurrection, does this change us to live for the now? And I'm not talking about change for the sake of change. You know, some circumstances are good and bad, and sometimes change is, is not good. And maybe we should kind of continue on and persevere. But the change that we're talking about is what's theologically known as sanctification. This change that the gospel brings about in an individual, in, in a person, in his heart, in his mind, and in his, his or her ultimate behavior. So what I want to do by, by coming to this book of Colossians today is look about this genuine change that the gospel brings, this sanctification that, that the resurrection specifically brings. And I'll do that in three ways. We'll look at, first, the source of sanctification. We'll look at the work of dying to sin. And lastly, the work of living on to righteousness. So the source of sanctification, the work of dying to sin, and lastly, the work of of living on to righteousness. So first, uh, the source of sanctification. Uh, oftentimes when we go through sermon series, we, we get the privilege of going through an entire book and working our way through. So as we're going through that book, you kind of know the context along the way of like what's happening, why this letter has been being written. But because we've been kind of jumping into this topical series on resurrection, we don't have the luxury of doing that. So to give you a quick overview about what's going on in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing some false teaching that's been going on in the church probably around, centered around some Jewish or pagan mysticism uh, that, that was exhorting people to, to pray to, to, to angels to guard them from evil spirits. And what Paul does in the first two chapters of Colossians is that he reaffirms the supremacy of Christ, who Christ is and what he has done. And to highlight some of the things that he says, chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, Christ is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is who Jesus Christ is, the firstborn of all creation. All things on heaven and earth belong to him. And then Paul further explicates what he has done. Same chapter, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So not only is Christ this amazing figure, this preeminent son of God, the second person of the Trinity, but he is one that has completed a redemptive work to reclaim us as human beings from our sin. And so we see the power of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, which now brings us to the passage that I read for us earlier today. And so when we look at what the source of sanctification is, I want to start uh, right there in verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And again in verse 3, for you have died. And I'm just going to start with the, uh, stop with those quick phrases there. If then you have been raised with Christ. In verse 3 it says, for you have died. Paul here is talking about a resurrection from the dead. And we know this because we've, we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. But we also know this from what he says in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. You who were dead. I want to pause there. Is Paul says that we were dead. Not dying. Not sick. Not needing help but dead. A lot of the times Christianity, we hear this, this uh, popular motto that Jesus saved me. Jesus saves us. And that is true. And I want to reaffirm that. But how often do we liken that to Jesus saved me from while I was drowning and I really needed help and I was really sick? What Paul is saying here is not that we were just dying or drowning, but we were already at the bottom of the ocean. We were dead. Flatlined, way beyond the, port, the, the point of, of bringing back to life through CPR. Rigor mortis has already set in, and, and the decay, you can smell it. We were dead. Now, this isn't, just a, bo- this isn't a bodily death that Paul, that Paul is talking about, but a spiritual death. One that because sin entered the world, we have been completely separated from God. And apart from God, there is no life. There is only death. We were dead. It's it's pretty bleak, but in this, we can also see, begin to see where the source of genuine change comes from, where the source of sanctification comes from. Because by coming to grips with the reality of our deadness, we can see more the power and the beauty of Christ's resurrection. By coming to the grip of the fact that we were dead, there was no beat left in us. We see the power and beauty of the resurrection. We were once dead and we were made alive. This this wasn't just a resuscitation. This was a miracle, something supernatural, the impossible, the unthinkable. What Christ accomplished for us was resurrection from death to life. And the only way that we can see, begin to see change happening in us only way that we can see sanctification is to understand that we had to be made alive first. 
And Christ accomplished that for us. Now, if you allow me to kind of return back to my baseball analogy, um, oftentimes when I, when I don't get to watch the games, my wife knows this, I'll sit in bed and I'll, I'll rewatch at least all the highlights, if not the entire game myself. I know it's kind of obsessive. Uh, but that's how much I love baseball. Uh, but this is, this is uh, taking into consideration and knowing that I already know the final score. I know what the outcome of the game is going to be like. And yet I still watch uh, the home runs. I still watch those amazing highlight plays. And why do I do this? Is because I know what the end result is. I know how it all started as well. And so while I'm watching that, there's no confusion. There's no doubt. There's no fear about what's going to happen as I'm watching. But there is a confidence. Something that propels me towards enjoying this. And that's much like what resurrection does for us in change and sanctification, is that we know the end story. We know what Christ has accomplished for us. We know what he is going to do. And so as we live our lives today, right now, what propels us forward is the work and power of Jesus Christ. Amen? We know what's going to happen. The only way we can see change happening in us is we reflect more and more on the power and beauty what Christ has done for us in his resurrection. And so where does Paul lead us after that? As, as we continue to read, it says, For if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on Christ and not on the things of earth. And this is exactly where our next two points are going to lead us. When we think about dying to sin and living unto righteousness, it's not seeking the things of earth and seeking the things that are above. But before we, want to, before we do move on, I just want to take a little bit of a pause here and, and address, if you're not Christian, if you're skeptic, if you're visiting for the first time, if you're investigating the faith, regardless of where you are, before we move on and, and lest that be a way in which I tell you how to be a good person and, and, and not how to be a bad person, I want to pause here and ask you to investi- investigate the resurrection. Do you believe that this was true? Do you believe that as human beings we were dead and without any hope of new life except through Jesus Christ? And so that I want to consider first things first as, as we've been doing this entire series is that if you're coming, if you're asking questions, this is where I want to leave you first, is, is to imagine, is to picture and place yourself at the feet of Christ's resurrection. And so as we do move on, as we talk about what it looks like to die to our sin and live unto righteousness, we do this all in the power of the resurrection. So I don't want us to miss that. And so we'll move on. As we think about sanctification, as we think about how change happens in our life, uh, it first happens by dying to sin. Um, if then you have been raised with Christ, set your mind not on the things of earth. So Paul, throughout this passage, you may have noticed, uh, offers this duality, uh, this dual nature of how sanctification works. He, he offers a positive and he offers a negative. And this, in this instance of dying to sin, it's the negative. It's the do not set your mind on things of earth, put to death what is earthly in you, verse 5, and put on, uh, in these old clothes, he uses clothing imagery, In these old clothes you too once walked, but now we must put them all away, verses 7 to 8. Dying to sin, it's like this cosmic spring cleaning where we don't, like the clothes we don't wear anymore, we just put them away and we forget forget about them. Um, Paul is calling us to deal with our sins. 
And he's being very real about it. From a dead state, we have been made alive in Christ and no longer slaves to sin. So in that way, we need to put to death the things that are apart from Jesus himself. But we live in a reality where we still struggle with sin, right? Even though Christ came and died and was raised again from the dead, sin no longer reigns or rules over what Christ has done, but the reality is we still, as human beings, struggle with sin. It rages on in our own hearts. So there is a very real experience where we have to deal with our habits from the past and the temptations that it brings today against the world, against our own flesh, against the devil, against the enemy. And Paul calls us to deal with them. In fact, what does he say? He exhorts us to take extreme measures to do so. He's, he calls us to put them to death. Not just subdue or restrain them or, or lock them away and ignore them or escape from them. He calls us to put our sins to death. What does this mean? It means that we have to be serious about it. We have to identify and name the things in our lives that drives us from God and neighbor. We have to come up with a plan on actually how we're going to get rid of it, how we're actually going to kill it. Sin doesn't just go away on a whim or a fleeting moment of courageous oomph, but we have to kill it. We have to be systematic and put it to death. Uh, Many years ago, there was a show on TV called When Animals Attack, and as you may have uh, noticed from the title, it's it's just a, a bunch of instances in which Animals in the wild or, or domesticated ones, uh, for whatever reason, decided to attack human beings. And there was this one instance uh, that I remember seeing that there was a lion trainer who had, who had tamed this lion, uh, probably for a circus act, and, and it had been years since this lion had been quote-unquote domesticated. And so this lion trainer had, had kind of accumulated a bunch of fame to a point, and, and what did he decide to do? He decided to walk down a red carpet with this lion. That's a great idea, Right. And so as he's walking down the red line, you can immediately tell from the disposition of this line that he does not feel comfortable. Like the red carpet, the lights, the flashes, the people, this is all out of his element. And so as the the tamer is walking the lion down the red carpet, the second that the tamer turns his back towards the lion, the lion sinks his teeth in on the trainer's leg. And so we sit here, we're not surprised at all that that happened. But what did surprise me is the interviews that happened afterwards. The show began to interview the, the, the tamer's good friend, uh, the, the, the co-workers, the, the co-tamers that he had, and they were all surprised and in disbelief that something like this could happen. And I was sitting there watching in surprise and disbelief that they were surprised and disbelief. <laughs> like, this is a lion. Like, this is not a, a house dog or cat, but this is like the, the alpha predator of the jungle, and we all know since being little kids, that you don't mess with lions. It's a natural-born predator. It's, it's in the very nature of who he is and what he was supposed to do. And why do I bring this up is that sometimes in our lives, when we try to deal with sin, maybe we look at sin like we do a tamed lion. We try to think, well, it's been a while. I think I got a grip on this. I think I know what it'll do or what effect it'll have on my life. But the reality is we're trying to tame a lion in our own hearts. The the very nature of sin is to drive us away from one another and ultimately to drive us away from God. So what are ways in which we are just trying to tame this lion and not putting it to death? 
Paul continues on there. He goes through a bunch of different uh, commands on, on how to put sin to death and what actually to put to death. And I, I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just kind of briefly do an overview of them from verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Uh, and I'll pause there for a second to, t- to take a moment to realize uh, Paul is emphasizing the grievous nature here of sexual sin. Uh, it's not to say that sexual sin is, is more heinous than any other sin as, as with greed or anger or, or judgment, but he does want to address it here to say that sexual sin is, is very dangerous. It is very rampant in the church, outside of the church, in our culture, and everything that we do. And so I don't want to bring this up to try to have you squirm in your seats or, or for those that do deal with sexual sin, for you to feel judgment or, or contentment from it. Um, but for us to say that we are a church, we are the body of Christ, and if one brother or sister suffers, we all suffer. And so as a way of, of being that one body, if there are those of you that struggle with sexual sin, we want to be the first to say that we are here to walk alongside you. We are here to help. Uh, first coming to, to City Reformed about eight months ago, I was so encouraged to see uh, New Hope happening, which is a sexual uh, addiction group for, for men. And now we also have one for women, women at the well. And this is, this is a privilege. This is a, an immense opportunity that our church has to, to walk alongside those that are in our church dealing with this. This isn't available or present in, in many other churches, it's, and it's sad to say that, but for, you, for those of you that are out there um, and, you're, and you're looking for help, you're looking for some sort of support, uh, I want to lead you to that, or at least talk to one of our pastors, talk to one of us. We'd love to, to help you alongside of it as, as not a way of, of casting you aside or, or casting judgment on it, but uh, we, we want to understand the grievous nature that, that Paul understand sexual sin to have, and we also want to help you with it. Uh, Continue on in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Uh, The one thing that I want to emphasize with all these commands here is that Paul is understanding uh, the nature that these sorts of sins happen in a social setting, in a communal setting. So the reality then that we are called to live in community with one another. And so Paul is emphasizing the, the, the very things that would break apart, cause disunity in the body of Christ. And so what are those things in our lives? What are the things that, that causes us to be astray from those that we're sitting next to? Because in verse 11, he says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Regardless of your race, regardless of your socioeconomic class, where you are in your life stage, whether or not you're married, whether or not you have kids, Christ is all and in all. And as the body of Christ, I'm, I'm so happy to see so many of you here. And so how is Paul calling us as a church, as City Reformed, to put to death the things that would prevent us from being one body, from being a, a splintered body? And so as we're asking the question, like, what does it mean to to, set, to not set our mind on the things of earth, how, do, what, how does that manifest in our life? What does that look like? I just leave you with a couple of diagnostic questions. What set of values determines your schedule? How do you go about creating your weekly schedule or your monthly, yearly schedule? What view of life determines how you make decisions? What 
vacations to take, what decisions to make, where to send your kids to school, all these different questions. And what is the one thing in your life right now that if you were to say, if only I had this, or if only this were accomplished in my life, then I would feel so much more free, so much more less burden, so much more stress-free. What are the things that we are grasping onto that helps us miss the picture of the resurrection? And how does it actually practically bear fruit in our lives? Set your minds on things above, not on the things of earth. Um, I wish we had more time there, but I, I want to move us on to also uh, what it looks like to set our minds on things above. Uh, living onto righteousness. Or as Paul lists in the passage, set your minds on things above, verse 2. Put on the new self, verse 10. Put on then all of these resurrection virtues, the resurrection robes, in verse 12. And put on love, in verse 14. Uh, first of all, Paul addresses us as Christians, as a church, uh, on verse 12, put on then as God's chosen, one, chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's not addressing just any other crowd. He's not addressing strangers. But he is addressing people that he knows that God has chosen, but also he knows that God loves, whom Paul loves. And so as we're talking and engaging with those around us, brothers and sisters, those whom we have come to love, how does our demeanor change? How does our, our perspective change? How does our approach change in living in community? And he calls us to actively put on the virtues of Christ himself. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness. These aren't just good virtues for the sake of being good, but these are the very virtues that Christ, we saw, live out himself. And above all, put on love that binds these things in harmony. For Paul, these two things go hand in hand. Seeking the things that are above, not setting our things on, not setting our mind on the things of earth. These two things go hand in hand, and you can't have one without the other. If it was all dying to sin and not living unto righteousness, there would actually be no joy in the life that we live towards Christ. But if it's all living unto righteousness and not actually putting to death our sin, there's no hope for what Christ is actually doing in our lives and helping us conquer our demons. Uh, I may have used this illustration before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but there was an old pastor of mine that was um, doing some work in his study, in his room, uh, in his house, and his youngest daughter, who may have been about six years old at the time, comes in and barges in and immediately disrupts his work and and begins conversation with him, and and she has an agenda in mind, so she begins to ask her dad, Dad, what are are some of the things that you love? And he kind of thinks about it for a while, and he says, "I I love the Red Sox. This is back when we were in Boston. Uh, I love golf. I love playing a golf. I don't get to play as often, but when I get to go on a course, it's, it's an extreme privilege for me. And I love, uh, I love being on time. Uh, I, I, just, I, I have this obsessive, obsessive thing about being on time. So then her, his daughter thinks about it, and she goes, okay, what are some of the things that you hate? And so he thinks about that, and, and then he says, well, then I hate the Yankees. Um, I hate being late. Uh, and I hate that I'm so busy that I don't, I don't get to play golf. And so his daughter thinks about that. She says, okay. And so my pastor was intrigued as to why his daughter was asking these questions. And so then he asks her, he's like, what are the things that you love? And you know what she said? She said, I love the Red Sox. And I, I think I love golf. And I like being on time too. 
And then he says, well, then what do you hate? He goes, I hate the Yankees. Uh, I hate being late, and I hate that you don't get to play golf. Why do I share that is that as we think about sanctification, as we think about meditating on the resurrection and how that leads us, propels us to seek the things that are above and not on the things of earth, it means that as a loving father, as we look at Christ, as we look at God, we come to love the things that he loves and we come to hate the things that he hates. So the sanctification, genuine change does not happen because we follow these lists of commands written from what may seem like an outdated book, but this is the very word of God himself. This is the revelation of Christ. And so if we understand Christ to be God, if we understand God our Father to be this loving Father, what are the things that we are doing in our lives that actively help us love the things that he loves and hates the things that he hates? And as if that weren't enough, there is actually a work that the Holy Spirit is already doing that Paul mentions in this passage. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, verse 16. So there is an active work that the Spirit is already doing so that for those that believe in Jesus Christ, that believe in the gospel, believe in the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is already in work in you. That is, if, if you're thinking, man, what can I do that will help me live on to live on to righteousness, that will help me seek the things that are above, or what can I do right now to, to mortify, to put to death the things of sin in my life? If you're asking those questions, the Holy Spirit is working. He's already at work in your life. Does that give you courage? Does that give you more faith? To live unto him, that the power of the resurrection instills all of these beautiful virtues in our lives on the sole act of us believing what Christ has done in his death and his resurrection. Now, doubt and fear of real change it happens. We go through it. Faith is very unnatural. Doubt, envy, fear, worry planning for the future, trusting our own strength and wisdom. These are actually more natural things for us than to actually have faith, put our faith in the things unseen. But when we cry out for genuine change, God will deliver. When we actually cry out for genuine change, God will deliver. And how do I know this? God is a zealous Savior and a dissatisfied Creator. He's a zealous Savior and a dissatisfied Creator. And I say that because... Genuine change of this sin-scarred, this broken world is at the center of God's zeal, at the center of who God is. That the very nature of God is to bring about genuine change. That the very nature of sin is to tear us away from him, but the very nature of God is to bring change in this broken world. Particularly if we're not basing it wholly on, on our desires, our perceptions of the good life, if we're not just kind of seeking an easy way out or things to be pleasurable, but if we seek to bring God glory, God will answer. Verse 3 and 4, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, then also, when Christ, who is your life, then also you will appear with him in glory. The past life of believers came to an end when we died with Christ. But now, the only life that we have is a life in Christ. So much so that Paul can say that Christ is our life. 
So when we cry out for genuine change, God will deliver, even in the hardest places. So I ask you, what are the areas in your life that you consider the hardest places? What are the areas in your life that you hold on to, section off, close the door and lock the key away to, to say, I don't think God can touch this. There's nothing that he can do to redeem this. And as beautifully, beautifully as, as Allison shared, there are areas in our life where God can touch those things, that God can bring about redemption. And so I ask you, what are the areas in your life that you are seeking genuine change? Change is possible in the hardest places because the giver of life, the giver of transformative grace, has made us, you and I, human beings, he has made us where he dwells. And where God, where God dwells, where Jesus Christ is, there is resurrection and there is change. Amen? So I leave you with just a couple points of application. How, do, how does that affect us? What, what, what difference does that make? Again, sanctification is a twofold process. That we mortify sin, that we do not set our minds on the things of earth, but that we also seek the things that are above. From the scripture passage that Matt read this morning from Matthew, uh, Peter is confronting Jesus, he, he actually rebukes Jesus. Imagine rebuking Jesus. Uh, because Jesus said, I have to suffer. I have to go to the cross. I have to die. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, that these things happen to you. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have your things on the, on, you have your things on the things of man, but not on the things of God. What does Christ tell us to do? To, to seek Christ? To seek the things that are above? That we meditate on the cross. That we look like that we that we begin to think about what it looks like to die to our sin and to, to die to ourselves, to, to bear up the cross. Live unto righteousness, seek the things that are above, seek Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That as we come to worship on Sundays, as we live in community with one another, as we sing to one another and teach and admonish each other, we let it all be, happen by the word of Christ by what God has told us. And lastly, everything is done in community. All these commands that Paul gives to us, there's, uh, there's, there's no coincidence that these are commands that we are to do in the context of community, that we rub shoulders with each other, that, that we care about in, enough about each other to know what are the things that are holding us back, what are the, the sins that need to be mortified in our lives. Are you looking for genuine change in your life? Are you looking, at, looking for it from anywhere other than the resurrection itself? And so whether you're here and you're Christian and you've been coming for years, whether you're brand new to the faith and just asking questions, again, this is where I leave us, is with the very resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray.